Good afternoon, and uh, welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. We have uh, joining with us this afternoon, uh, Chase Byers from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, Joe, how are you doing this afternoon? I am doing well, thank you. And also, Jeff Smelser is uh, back in the U.S., um, and I'm hoping that he will log on here in just a moment. Hi, Jeff. Hey, I'm here. Very good. So, uh, this afternoon, have a uh, topic that I hope will be of interest to a lot of people. Uh, if you are joining us have, and have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts, please. Um, we will turn our attention to a uh, study of conversion in uh, the book of Acts. Before we do that, just uh, mention uh, briefly where you gentlemen are, as we do from time to time. Uh, invite people to join either for Bible studies or get a hold of you. Uh, Jeff, do you have any uh, way of people getting in touch with you if they'd like to study in your area? Sure. People can write me at jtsmelser at gmail.com, or they can, uh, if it's easier to remember Jeff Smelser, that's fine. Then just say Jeff Smelser at ntgreet.net. Um, hey, I'll throw out a little trivia question before you go to Chase. Um, and uh, this is a, I was coming back into the country yesterday. And when I came through Immigration's Custom, I always get mixed up. I don't know what I was coming through. But the, the fellow who was um, interviewing me uh, said uh, he's got a question. He always asks preachers, and he says they always get it wrong. And so I thought, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to get it wrong. And uh, he said, uh, what's the last time? in the Bible where we see the father, specifically the father's voice recorded, not in a vision, not in a dream, just where the last time the father's voice is recorded. Um, maybe our viewers can try to come up with that during the webcast today. I, I will just say this. I got it wrong. <laughs> that is a very interesting question. Uh, I'm trying to rack my brains to try to think through the different times, uh, even as you asked. So I hope that one of our listeners does get it right. So then I won't embarrass myself with the uh, answer. Yeah. The emphasis is on the father, right? Not, not exactly. specifically okay. the father. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Chase, where are you located and how could people get in touch with you for studying? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you can locate me. I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, you can also email me at, uh, capital city Christians at gmail.com and you spell capital C A P I T A L. Um, as sometimes there's a variation there, but capital city Christians at gmail.com. Or if you go to CapitalCityChristians.com, there's information that you can reach me, my personal cell phone number on there as well. It's in Harrisonburg, right? No, Harrisburg, Jeff. Yeah, a little bit different. Harrisonville. Yeah. Harrisonville? No, it's still not right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that you made it back into the country, Jeff, with the you're no preacher. You can throw the handcuffs on when he's somebody trying to sneak into the country. And if you live a little bit further north from uh, Harrisburg or Exton, uh, I'm located in Elmira, New York, and conduct Bibles through the Twin Tiers region, uh, Mansfield, Elmira, Corning. Uh, be happy to study with you if you live in Binghamton or, or anywhere in the general area, Watkins Glen. Um, I'd be happy to, uh, to reach out. Uh, my email address, uh, I think, should be right here, uh, L-I-L, Preacher Joe, 
at AOL.com. Feel free to get in touch with me uh, if you would like to set up a study. So let's take a look at Acts, the 10th chapter. Uh, you know, there are a couple of stories in the book of Acts, and maybe this should have been my trivia question. Um, I won't know how, quite how to ask it, so I'll go ahead and give the answer. There are a couple of conversion stories in the book of Acts that seem to be so significant that they're actually repeated multiple times. Um, I guess you guys could probably think of, uh, of, of one or two of those, right? I'm sorry, what, Joe? A couple of what that are repeated? A, a couple of conversion stories. They're repeated, sure. Sure, we see Saul's conversion story in the book of Acts three times, for example. Right, right. And so we think about uh, in chapter 9 and chapter 22 and chapter 26 where his story is told and different parts of it are told to as they relate to the current situation. Um, and in this story here in Acts, the 10th chapter, it's interesting because we have three accounts of it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in Acts 10, 10, Acts 11, and Acts 15. Perfect, exactly. And, and I think that just by recognizing that, it helps us to see how significant um, uh, this story is, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit saw fit to uh, list it three times for us to get the fullness of the, the message. Significant for a different reason, of course. Saul's was so significant because here he was, somebody who had been persecuting the church, and now he's going to become an apostle of Jesus Christ, especially the apostle to the Gentiles. So it's an interesting question. Uh, well, we understand why that was so significant a story, but what about Cornelius? Why is this particular conversion story so significant? It's for a different reason, but a very profound reason. Exactly. And so I'd like to take a look at that uh, this afternoon, and uh, we'll answer at least that in part, and then also maybe focus on a couple of aspects that will be of particular interest, I hope, to a number of people that will be listening in either right now or later on. Speaking of which, um, if you do, if you are listening in and have some questions or comments uh, in agreement or disagreement, or if you can answer Jeff's uh, trivia question, um, uh, we'll offer you nothing but a, a like on Facebook, but uh, we will appreciate it if you would um, chime in with, with any sort of, of comment or question along the way. Oh, and just before we get really well into the topic, let me say one thing, more thing, Joe, if I can. While, while in Guatemala last week, uh, a man was telling me he watches this webcast every week. And uh, so greetings to our viewers in in Guatemala. Uh, Very good. Do, do you want to say that in Spanish so that they... Uh, uh, bienvenidos. That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> my my head's not in Spanish right now. That's, what uh, that's quite all right. Uh, not, a, not a fair uh, request on my part. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that I think is pretty significant as it relates to a lot of people I talk to today is the, the, the conversion of Cornelius is the conversion of a really good guy. I, I think that that's what's really, or one of the things that is really um, relevant today. It seems as if a lot of people feel like that they don't really need God in the way that the Bible is describing them as needing God. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like they need a little religion or something, and maybe we'll get, be able to get back to that at the end of our time. Um, but if you would look here, for example, in chapter 10, 
Cornelius, his name is given in verse 1. He's a Roman soldier, pretty important one. He's a centurion in charge of 100 uh, men. But in verse 2, it describes him in the New King James as a devout man, one who fears God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Good man. Obviously, he's a, he's saved. Obviously, he's going to go to heaven. I, I mean, you know, you see somebody like this, and you would want this guy to be the leader of, of your church. Uh, you know, he would be the kind of fellow that, man, everybody you're going to look up to, look at all the spiritual spirituality about him. And yet, let me skip over just a little bit. When the story is being retold in the 11th chapter, um, there's a statement that is made there that I think is pretty important. Um, as Peter is retelling the, the conversion of Cornelius, it says uh, these words from, uh, from Peter in verse 13, Acts eleven thirteen, And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in the house who had said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose name is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Ah, so as good as he was, he wasn't actually saved. Right, which seems to be so counter to the way much of religion would view this devout, God-fearing, generous, prayerful man of Acts 10 and verse 2. If, if this guy isn't saved, how could a person become saved? Well, and of course, that question uh, has to do with the fact that we're not good enough, however good we are, we're not good enough to be saved by our goodness because the problem is not our goodness. The problem is the things we've done wrong. And Cornelius, just like you and me and everyone, had done things that were wrong. And that's the thing that is the sin in our lives that separates us from God. And the answer to that question, Cornelius didn't have yet until Peter comes to him. Well, that's exactly right. And maybe just to even add emphasis to that, um, when uh, look over in chapter 10, when Peter gets there, um, uh, some of the statements that are made, um, or actually when, when the servants send uh, when the servants are sent from Cornelius to come to Peter, uh, some of the statements that are made, for example, in verse 22, here's what some of his servants said to him. Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. You know, again, his reputation is tremendous. His, um, his devotion to God is it's almost incomparable to people are just very impressed. The Holy Spirit it seems to be impressed with uh, the, the good things that he is uh, in, encountering uh, in, in this man. But that's not what will save us. Because so, so, Joe, what you're saying is that, that we can be doing things that glorify God and that please him, but there still are some things that we need to do to be completely pleasing to God. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's what this text is, I think, is, is pointing out. Um, when you see somebody who is so good, but still isn't saved, then that ought to really set us back to say, okay, what is this salvation about? Um, if we can't save ourselves, if we can't, you know, if, if a man like Cornelius can't be so good, and Jeff, you 
mentioned a while ago, the conversion of, of Saul to, uh, to, to Christ. Of course, he was, he was murdering Christians. So. Right. We would think of him, oh, that's a bad guy. If we had known Saul at that time, we said, well, that's a bad guy. Of course, he needs to be saved. But if we'd known Cornelius, we said, well, that's a good guy. I think people like that are going to heaven. I think people, somewhat, someone would say, I think people like that deserve to go to heaven. That would be a very common feeling, and, and I suspect is, it would be stated uh, by people uh, on, a, on a regular basis regarding other individuals like Cornelius. There's a lot of good people in, in my neighborhood. I just recently moved here. People have been very generous to us. They've been very kind to us. Um, we've got a lady that bakes great uh, uh, homemade chocolate chip cookies, I found out. you know, um, uh, People have, have been uh, very benevolent. That's not what saves us, right? What we when we and when in fact when we talk about salvation, we're talking about sin. We need to be saved from our sins. As a matter of fact, if I could interject this real quickly, this is the point of all these passages that the evangelicals like to, to quote when it says, for example, in Ephesians chapter two and verse eight, "For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory." Uh, the point isn't that you don't have to do anything. The point is your works, the good deeds that you've done, are not going to get you into heaven uh, because they don't fix the problem of sin. Right. Yeah. And so maybe tying that in then to the significance of this message being given in chapter 10 and in chapter 11 and in chapter 15, one of the things that we see about him is that he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. And so this conversion story is so significant in the book of Acts is because he doesn't come from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, he doesn't have the pedigree that the, that the Israel had. Um, and so that's one of the things that makes this story remarkable. He's a great, very good man um, uh, in his character, but he doesn't have the, the history of being a Jew, that's not what's keeping him from uh, from being saved. But from their vantage point, that was this is a big deal. He's the first Gentile conversion recorded for us. Yeah. So this this idea that he's the first Gentile up until the, and so many people think of Christianity versus Judaism and don't stop to think. Wait a minute, Jesus, the author of Christianity, was a Jew. The twelve apostles were Jews. The 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost were essentially Jews. I want to come back to that in a moment. The, uh, the church, as it began in the first several chapters of Acts, is made up almost entirely of Jews. It's not until Acts 10 that we see uh, it even being understood by Christians that Gentiles, understood generally by Christians who were Jews, uh, that that Gentiles could become a part of this. Now, I want to go back to that because I often will say, well, Cornelius is the first Gentile. He's the beginning of the gospel to Gentiles. Well, okay, let's refine that a little bit. In Acts chapter 2, when all these Jews come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and Peter preaches to them and 3,000 are baptized, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 10, among them it mentions both Jews and proselytes. And then we get over to Acts chapter 8, and we have Philip preaching in Samaria. And Samaritans were not Jews. However, it should be noted, they claimed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as, 
as their fathers, uh, they claimed to worship the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What we have in Cornelius is opening the door to rank Gentiles, if I can put it that way, in mass, uh, as opposed to the situations we'd had previously where Gentiles who identified with Judaism had become Christians. Now we have people who do not identify with Judaism, who are not Jews, and they're going to be a part of the kingdom of, of Christ. Very much so. Jay, you had something there? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of add on to all this. It's important to see where this lies in the book of Acts. In chapter 8, you have the account of, a, of an Ethiopian eunuch who is converted and who obeys the gospel and is baptized into Jesus Christ. And of course, according to the Old Testament, he wouldn't have been able to even come into contact and come into the temple, and he is saved. And in chapter 9, you see a man, Saul of Tarsus, a murderer, somebody who had been ravaging the church. He is saved. And then in chapter 10, you have somebody who is a Gentile that is going to be saved. And so when you zoom out and see this, you just see, kind of going back to Acts 2 as well, what Peter had quoted uh, from Joel 2, that it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I might be jumping ahead here or maybe okay. reading what Jeff said, but I don't think Peter fully understood what that meant when he was saying it. And Acts chapter 10 is where Peter starts to realize the full depth of what he was saying. Um, because at, at that time, like Jeff was kind of saying, you had to become a Jew first before you would be saved. And in these G Gentiles or in these Jews way of thinking, yeah, you can be baptized. Yeah, you can become a Christian, but you need to be circumcised and you need to obey these days, and you, you need to be a Jew. But here, they're getting told something different now, and, and this is divine, and it's from God. Maybe we can get into the story a little bit. Would that be good? Uh, that'd be great. So uh, I guess another aspect of this question that, we, that comes up today about, you know, well, are you going to say that, that that person who was just so good that just because they didn't do some of the things that God told them to in the, in the Bible— uh, maybe they didn't uh, believe and, and were baptized into Christ. Are you going to say that, that they're not saved? Um, and we'll get that sort of emotional uh, appeal for salvation of people. And I'm not going to sit as judge. I, I, don't, I don't want that position at all. It's way above my pay grade. Um, but in this story, you even have, we can go one more step, because after the description of Cornelius, um, as he is praying in the, the third verse, a vision comes to him from an angel, and the angel says, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God in verse 4. And so that means that even God, God was even hearing Cornelius' prayers. And sometimes people would think, well, that surely is a sign of salvation. But again, we know from Acts eleven fifteen that he was not saved at this point. And so, yeah, sometimes people ask me, if you know, is it okay for non-Christians to pray? By all means. I think we should be crying out to God, and then you should be looking for the ways in which God is pointing you to salvation, particularly through passages like this right here. So here you have this really good character in Cornelius, a man who's praying, who God hears his prayers, and God answers his prayers. I sometimes wonder in opportunities, and I say this with great humility and, and, and some fearfulness, uh, if you're listening, 
and you don't know whether you're saved or not, this may be the way in which God is responding to that kind of a concern. I don't have the voice of God, but as we are opening the scriptures and we're reading this, if you see, well, this kind of describes me. I'm trying to be a really good person. I pray to God, how can I know if I'm saved or not? This is the perfect kind of text to, to look at. Um, and so I, I would really just earnestly plead with you to, to think about your salvation and, and if you can have that confidence that God desires for you to have. So Cornelius is praying. He, uh, the angel tells him that God has heard those prayers, and what he needs to do is send to Joppa for a man named Simon. He tells him where he's going to be. And he says at the end of verse 6, again, pretty clear statement, he will tell you what you must do. There are still some things that Cornelius needed to do. And so that's going to be revealed to him. Interestingly enough, an angel appears to Cornelius. The angel doesn't tell him what he needs to do. The angel tells him to go and talk to another man. That's pretty similar to what we saw there in Acts, the ninth chapter, when God appeared to, uh, to Saul, but had the message of salvation revealed through Ananias. Seems pretty consistent as we think about that, that God is wanting man to relay his message. Uh, seems pretty important for us. So as you might well imagine, Cornelius acts pretty quickly. If you get a vision from God that tells you to go and call for a particular person in a specific city, uh, exactly where he's at, then that's exactly what Cornelius did, sent some of his servants uh, to to go and fetch Simon Peter. Any thoughts through verse 8 there? Uh, nope, good. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, if I can get it up real quickly, I'll just pull up a, a map real quickly so that we can kind of keep track of where we are. Let me. I thought I almost had it. I'm going to stall. Here we go. I got it. All right, let me um, see if I can share my screen real quickly. And there we go, right there. So here we've got Joppa, and uh, this is where Peter had uh, had been at the at, at the end of the, the last story. And then in chapter ten, we have this man Cornelius up in Caesarea, and he is told to send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so what we see here is then these men sent by Cornelius come down to Joppa to get Peter, and then Peter's going to have this vision of me. So we'll pick it up there. Right. I'm impressed at how quickly... I I didn't... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm impressed at how quickly you threw that together. Yeah, I was was doing that right while Joe was talking. Yeah, that's a, to our viewers, that is not true. <laughs> we are just discovering how many talents Jeff has uh, this afternoon, and it is astounding. I have no talent. <laughs> so that, that, that's exactly right. So the servants have come down to Joppa to find Peter, and as they are on their journey, as that is taking place, according to verse 9, uh, it's about lunchtime. Peter is waiting for the meal to be prepared, and he goes up on the housetop to pray. And while he's praying, he is hungry. And so the timing of this vision is very appropriate. This sheep comes down with all these different kinds of animals that would have been uh, prohibited for Peter to, to eat, according to the Levitical law. 
but he's given this instruction, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. What God has cleansed, no longer call common. I need your deep voice there, Jeff. Uh, and uh, uh, that happens three times. And Peter's just beside himself in verse 17 trying to figure out what, what does this mean? I mean, it's such an odd out of, uh, you know, it, it, Peter's hungry, but he's being told he can eat these unclean meats now. Um, uh, you know, is that what they're preparing? You know, you kind of wonder what, what's running through Peter's mind. Thankfully, he doesn't have to think about that very long because while he's contemplating that, there's a knock at the gate. And some people are calling for, for Peter, and uh, these men are seeking for him, verse 19. And the, the vision that Peter then receives is, you go with these men, don't, don't doubt, you know, don't ask questions, um, uh, you just go with them. And, uh, and so Peter, as a faithful servant, is going to do just that. But he has, in the back of his mind, this vision then of being able to eat meats that uh, had been prohibited before. So there's something that is in the, in the process of changing. God is trying to show through this uh, visionary parable. But Peter doesn't get it yet. Verse 17, Peter was much perplexed in himself what the vision which he had seen might mean. He's sitting there scratching and said, what was that all about? Right. Yeah, he's exactly right. And so he, he welcomes them in, and, and we already read a couple of these verses here earlier. Uh, they introduce themselves, talk about Cornelius, what a great guy he is, how, you know, you almost see them maybe recognizing that there's some tension or something. So they bring up, you know, he's spoken of by, by the Jewish nation. Uh, you know, uh, he's just respected by everybody. And an angel told him to, to come and get you. Uh, and so now Peter knows, okay, an angel, the vision has told me to go with them. Uh, an angel has told them to come and get me. So this all is working out rather well together. Peter invites them in. They spend the night there and then begin their journey the next day. I think it is significant. This is from the American Standard Version. Verse 20 says, the Spirit was saying to Peter, but arise, get thee down, go down, go down, because remember, he's up on the housetop, and go with them, nothing doubting. He doubt, naturally, not only are these strangers, these are Gentiles. And, and later on, we're going to read in the chapter that Peter's going to say, you yourselves know, he's going to say to Cornelius in his house when he gets there, you yourselves know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to join himself or to come unto one of another nation. We don't associate with Gentiles. Here these Gentiles have shown up at the door saying, you know, we're looking for Peter, we want to take him with us. Peter would doubt, but the Holy Spirit says, go with them, don't doubt. So you can see this is kind of going to be the beginning of Peter getting the idea of what it meant when God said, call not that common or make not that common what God has planned. Don't treat something as, as unholy if God has made it holy. Exactly. Very good. So the next day they begin their journey. Uh, pretty quickly they get up to Caesarea and uh, Peter meets Cornelius for the first time in verse 25. Cornelius falls down and worships before him. Uh, you can sort of imagine, I mean, Cornelius has been told to send for this guy by, uh, by an angel and so his reaction, again, just very pious, um, he falls down to, to worship Peter, thinking that that's the, the right response. Peter just rejects that completely. Stand up. I'm just a man. 
Uh, Peter does not want any, any adoration. He doesn't want any worship. He's unworthy of that, and he knows that. Uh, he's been with Christ. He knows the difference between uh, God and man. He does not want uh, worship from anybody. And so they then... Isn't that interesting, Joe? Go ahead. I said, isn't that interesting that Peter didn't want any worship from anyone? It it is very interesting. Uh, It's unfortunate that uh, for some reason, a lot of people think that Peter ought to be worshipped today and, and other men ought to be worshipped today. That was that's the furthest thing from from Peter's desire, and so as they're headed into the house to to talk, as Jeff just mentioned, uh, Peter makes it known. Listen, you know I I shouldn't be here according to to the way that we 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 think. You know it's unlawful for me to have any association, but God's revealed that I should not call any man common or unclean in twenty eight. That's a pretty remarkable statement, I think. It is. Can you imagine? I mean, on a, on a couple of levels. On one level, can you imagine some somebody you've sent for? You don't know him. You've never met him, but you've told, been told you need to have him come talk to you. You invite him. He comes into your house, and the first thing he says is, you know, I don't associate with people like you. <laughs> and, and, and then he's going to go ahead, and he's going to say, but God has shown me something here. Yeah, I guess that softens the blow a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I mean the contrast from, you know, he could have he could have accepted worship. <laughs> he rejected the Cornelius worshiping him, and then he says, "And and by the way, we're not even supposed to be together." <laughs> yeah. uh, but and and thankfully, and and perhaps even quickly, he he shows why that's okay. But to me, it's also remarkable in the sense that what Peter had been had seen was this vision that now he could eat bacon. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's always uh, bacon. Yeah, it, it always comes back to bacon for me. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he could he could have these uh, unclean animals that, that that they're not unclean anymore. He could eat those. He had not been told that he could now have association with Gentile people, but Peter had used something that uh, I think is pretty important when we're trying to understand the scriptures. Peter had used some common sense. Peter had made an application. Clearly, God was trying to show something in this vision and the timing of it, these men knocking at the gate, the, the, the vision telling Peter, go, doubting nothing, is an application that God expected Peter to get, and Peter got it. He yeah. used the exact same words in verse 28 about Cornelius, about Gentiles, that the vision had used about the animals. I just think that's really helpful for us to see. Sometimes God just paints a picture, and he expects us to get it. Yeah. Let's just compare those two verses. What what Peter had heard when he saw these animals lowered, and he was told he could kill and eat them, and when he protested, what he had been told was, what God has cleansed, make not thou common. And now, as he stands before these Gentiles, and he's understood in the past he wasn't even to associate with such. He now says, unto me God has showed that I should not call any man common or unclean. What he had done was God has all through the Old Testament taught man not only in, in words, but he has taught man using object lessons. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's done here. He said, look here, Peter, here's these meats. And once I say it's okay, then it's okay. 
And then the Holy Spirit said, look, Peter, here's these Gentiles, and you, you think you're not supposed to associate with them, but I'm telling you, go with them, nothing doubting. And Peter starts putting two and two together, and he comes to the house of Cornelius, and he comes to understand, okay, if God says it's okay for Gentiles to be a part of the kingdom of Christ, who might argue with that? Right. Good. Chase? Yeah, I, I just to add to that, uh, going through this just reminded me as well, God is using these two men to that would have likely, they would have never met before. And for as much as Cornelius is learning, Peter is also learning. You know, and I, I've never looked at it from that perspective. You know, when I come to this story, it's to talk about and to show, look at what Cornelius is learning in order to do to be saved. But look at what Peter's learning. You know, look at what's happening in his life. And so God has put these two men in, in, into running into each other for them both to learn some very important and crucial lessons. I think you're exactly on point there, uh, Chase. This story is not in the Bible to tell us what Cornelius learned. This story is in the Bible to tell us what Peter and all the Jewish Christians learn. And that is that God means for Gentiles to be a part of this. Uh, you know, I think I could agree with you all if there was emphasis on that, you know, anywhere else. <laughs> Spoiler alert, right? <laughs> you know, that, that you, you're, I'm joking, obviously. That is exactly the point in chapter 11 and in chapter 15. The Jewish Christians were just slow to get this. And, and so, you know, this is being recorded in detail in chapter 10, and then briefly in chapter 11, and even more briefly in chapter 15. But it's because those Jewish Christians we're struggling with this concept. And let's note this, Peter, and something I don't know that we've emphasized in the webcast today, there were six Jewish brethren who had accompanied Peter from Joppa back up to Cornelius. If we uh, glance at the text down in verse 23 of chapter 10, after the soldier and the two servants had come from Cornelius and stayed the night in Joppa where Peter was, then in the middle of verse 23, it says, On the morrow he arose and went forth with them, and certain of the brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Later on, we're going to find out it was six. Here's what's interesting. They didn't see the vision, apparently. They didn't see the vision that Peter saw of the meats. They didn't hear the voice of the Spirit saying, Go with them, nothing doubting. But they're going along, and it's going to take a little bit more to convince them of what Peter has figured out. That is that God means for these Gentiles to become a part of the kingdom. And so we'll get to that. What, what more does it take to convince these Jews who traveled with Peter, as well as all the other Jewish Christians, that Gentiles have a part in this? And so maybe, and, and feel free to correct me if you think I'm going too far with this application, but I think it is one that is relevant today, uh, as we said, for Cornelius, but also learning from, from Peter um, maybe just a very easy application would be how many times have we as Bible teachers set in a study with somebody and we're trying to help them learn and we are gaining insight either from the word or from the situation itself. We never quit becoming uh, learners um, if we're going to keep growing. But also I think that there might be some really good application for all of the the tenseness, uh, that's the right word, um, in society today from, uh, you know, the different 
racial tensions or, or whatever it might be, um, you know, you have Jew and Gentile here. They probably hated each other in general as much as anybody else. We think about all the, the problems today between black and white or um, between Republican and Democrat or, you know, whatever it might be, you know. Kentuckians and Indianans, West Virginians and Ohioans. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, um, we won't even get started on all that. Um, but, uh, you know, all of these different places where we see ourselves as, as different, I wonder if we as Christians, as, as preachers, as teachers of the Bible, or, or even just as, as God's people might see other people differently if we tried to put ourselves in Peter's sandals. If, if we tried to be concerned about the, the salvation, the, the souls of others, we might still differ about, I don't know, immigration or whatever, but we might talk a lot differently about that. We might, we might speak to people differently. We might emphasize things differently. We might actually have and manifest compassion for people's situations, even if we think maybe they need to do something that they aren't doing but we would have the love of Christ involved in that. I, I think that there is a, an application when we see this Jew Gentile relationship throughout the book of Acts, throughout Romans and Galatians, you know, it, it's just all over the place. And I think it's screaming at us to, to make some practical applications uh, today. You know, people who don't speak English uh, real good, um, <laughs> oh. you know, whatever so that be. <laughs> well, it ain't me. Uh, uh, Oh, I guess it's uh, the guy from Kentucky. So, I guess my plea is that both that, that we continue learning as well about how to be focused on the things that are most important and how to display that to other people as well. So we'll continue our study here. We've got a little bit more time. Uh, I don't know that we'll get all the way through it. If not, we can pick up some other time with it. Um, but they arrive at Cornelius's house. They're talking. Uh, we, we've gotten down through uh, 20, uh, 29, and Cornelius then explains what had happened. He'd been fasting. There's another aspect of it, of Cornelius's life in verse 30. He'd been fasting. He'd been praying. He'd received this vision, and he thanks Peter for, for coming then. Um, in verse 34, Peter you know, here's sort of the, the epiphany, the, the, the light comes on. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Uh, and so God is going to accept any and everybody, but there needs to be, there, there is something that um, is missing in Cornelius' life. It seems like, you know, even that, verse 35, where we're him and works righteousness, we would almost look back at verse 2 and say, okay, Cornelius has that, but it's not his own righteousness that he needs. Um, He's not going to be saved by his own deeds. And beginning there in verse 36, he begins to introduce Jesus Christ to him. And and that's that's who Cornelius needed was the Lord. So if I can pick up, I'll read right there starting in verse 36. Uh, So Peter says to Cornelius, the word which he sent unto the children of Israel, preaching good tidings, good news, the gospel, of, of peace 
by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, right? Here, need to pause, peace. Peace, not just in the sense of a platitude, but peace in the sense of reconciliation with God. Peace in the sense that I who have sinned and have thereby, thereby set myself in opposition to God can be at peace with God. Well, that's accomplished through Jesus Christ. Even Jesus of Nazareth, well, I skipped down a little bit, verse 37. That saying you yourselves know, which was published throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, even Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We think of Jesus doing miracles and healing people of blindness and deafness and crippledness and that kind of thing. But what Peter is pointing out here is that what that was a manifestation of is oppression by the devil. It's the devil who eats men and men into sin. And there's a spiritual blindness, a spiritual deafness, a spiritual lameness that Jesus can, uh, Jesus can overcome for us. And when he was doing these miracles where he healed people physically, it was to demonstrate he is the one who has the power to give us ultimate healing. Verse 39. Peter says, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, whom also they slew, hanging him on the tree, which is talking about the crucifixion. Him God raised up the third day and gave him to be made manifest, not to all people, but unto witnesses that were chosen before of God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So there Peter affirms that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he was raised from the dead, and Peter claims to be an eyewitness to that fact. And so there, in brief, is a gospel message being preached to Cornelius, and Cornelius being told it's because of what Jesus did you can have peace with God. Absolutely. So we've only got a couple minutes, and I don't want to leave this hanging. Uh, so I'm going to, want to run through the last couple of verses here. And then we, I'd be more than happy to come back to this in, the, in a future study at some point. Uh, Maybe good to do so. Um, as Peter is preaching that message of Jesus, of, of peace and of, uh, of, of release from the oppression of the devil, uh, the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius. And again, people might think, oh, well, then clearly he's saved at this point. And yet we still find after that, in verses 47 and 48, Peter makes a statement, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized so to receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Uh, and so, again, extremely consistent with many other conversion stories and consistent with the command of Jesus himself. Peter ordered these individuals to be baptized for so that they could have their sins forgiven. We know that because that's what baptism does, as we studied Acts 2.38. Well, as a matter of fact, the language here where Peter says, um, can any man forbid the water that these should not be baptized? And then he says he commanded them, this is verse 48, uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the expression that was used by this same Peter back in Acts chapter 2 when he said to the people on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, under the remission of your sins. But there's something that has happened in between, where we kind of skipped over it right there. The reason that Peter can say now, can any man forbid water, is because another sign has occurred to 
convince those six brethren that were traveling with Peter that God, and this is from God, God intends for this Gentile to become a Christian. And that is that while Peter was speaking Cornelius and his household, the Holy, Holy Spirit comes upon the household and Peter speaks in tongues, just like the apostles did on the day of Pentecost when the church began. And so everybody sees, oh, this is a sign from God. And that tells us a couple of things. That tells us, number one, the Holy Spirit coming upon Peter wasn't to save Peter. It was to show these Gentiles, uh, this, is, this is God's will. And, and number two, uh, it shows us something else which has escaped me right now. I can't think of it. I don't know where I was going. It was an important point, but I can't think of what it was right now. Go ahead, Chase. Yeah, and kind of touching on what Jeff just said, you see Peter's submission to God's will. When he sees what God's word is for him and for these people, Peter does not stand in the way, but he, he makes sure that these people also understand what God's will for them is. And we, we cannot force our own will. When we are convicted and we see what God's will is for us or for his people, we must obey it, and we can't get in its way. Right. And so if you find yourself as a Cornelius today as you're listening to this, uh, you are burdened with sin. You know that your life isn't right. You, you, you're trying to do good things, but you know that's not enough. Then follow uh, the, the case of Cornelius. If you want to have that, that peace that is being proclaimed in verse 36, if you, if you feel yourselves burdened, but you want to have this tranquility, uh, this deep peace that comes from uh, the relationship with the Lord, unity with God, then you do what Cornelius did. Uh, and uh, if there's any way that we could help you with that, again, please feel free to contact any of us whenever you have opportunity. Uh, Jeff, what's the answer to your trivia question? Oh, uh, I think the guy is oh. right. I haven't gone through and double-checked it. Well, wait, can John, I John chapter 12 and verse 28, uh, we asked the question at the beginning of the webcast, what's the last time we hear the Father speaking, as recorded in Scripture, uh, not in a vision, not in a dream, but audibly speaking, and it's in John chapter 12 and verse 27. I'm turning there and I have to turn it there here in this one real quickly here. We're running just a minute past time, but we'll get this out. Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Jesus says, there came therefore a, a voice out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Very good. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks, Chase. Chase, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Drew, for your technical support. And thanks, all of you, to who have listened in. And, uh, again, if you have any other comments or questions, you can still add those later on. Uh, otherwise, we'll, we'll, Lord willing, see you uh, next Wednesday. Thank you.